All right, we're here. It's uh, Friday morning, early for Christopher Gonzalez, who is associate professor out there at Utah State Logan and founder and director of Latinx Cultural Center. He's also the author of numerous books, including The Much Lauded Permissible Narratives. Welcome, Christopher. We also have Hello, yeah, with, good to be here. Good, yes, we're so I'm so happy. We also have Domino, uh, who's a, it's a little bit later in the morning. She's out there in Texas. Um, she is Regents Outstanding Teacher Award winning associate professor at UT Austin, and the author of There Was a Woman La Llorona from Folklore to Popular Culture. She's also recent co editor of Race and Cultural Practice in Popular Culture. Welcome, Domino. Good morning. Good morning to you and Christopher. So there has been a lot going on in the last week or so. <laughs> oh, man, I feel like yeah. we're fine. We're everywhere in kind of, but a lot of it's mudslinging, right? A lot of it's mudslinging. Yeah. This is all around the American dirt controversy. A lot of us have been speaking up Um kind of trying to really actually, in a way, uh, educate the public about issues we have been dealing with personally and in even in our scholarship and in our classrooms. So, you know, without us jumping back down into this rabbit hole, I'll just mention a couple of things for listeners who aren't familiar. American Dirt was written by Janine Cummins. Um, it was uh, given a seven-figure advance. It's one of Oprah's book club picks, and it's raised a lot of alarm bells uh, um, in and around issues of identity, but also the craft of fiction writing, the responsibility to the subject matter, um, the the industry itself, the publishing industry itself, sort of picking one and putting a lot of money behind it and then really not caring about all the other voices. So with that, let me let's just jump in right here. I want to I want to open this to both of you. Uh, maybe, Domino, you can launch us here um, as you know, this is we're, suddenly we're given a moment where our voices are being heard beyond classroom and scholarly books you know what is your take on this are you are people listening um is this you know effective what kinds of messages are you uh, particularly hoping to get out there what kinds of sort of deep maybe education you know on a really large public sense are you hoping to, to this might happen right now Oh my gosh, Fred! Could you be? Could you have started with a more complex question? <laughs> um, I just want to say that it's been a very long week. Um, I'm sort of exhausted by it all, uh, and so I thank you for this opportunity to digest some of the things that I've been thinking about and ways to turn this into, in fact, something productive, perhaps. Um, I think that for me in terms of how, what I've been thinking about this and, you know, how I might be able to bring some of these issues related to the conversations into the classroom. One, I think it has a lot to do, and I echo my colleagues and some of the, um, the, the 
information that's been disseminated as a result of these conversations. I think it has a lot to do with the nature and the structure of publishing houses. Um, who reads these books um, and, uh, you know, the process that they do or don't go through before ending up on the shelves. Uh, as someone who teaches um, young adult literature uh, with some frequency, there are statistics that are, I think, pretty alarming in the sense that um, inanimate objects and animals are more frequently represented uh, than, for example, Latinx children in these books. Uh, and so I think, you know, top to bottom in terms of who's working in these houses and what they publish and how they publish and the process and who gets represented and who doesn't, I think that is a, that's an important conversation that many of us have been having. Uh, but we still need, you know, it's, it's a conversation that continues, that we need to continue to have. Mm -hmm. um, the other thing, and, and these are certainly things that we talk about in, 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 my, in my classroom. But I think on a more personal note, I would say that um, I'm looking forward to using some of these conversations, in particular some of the criticism and vitriol that's been launched at me personally, um, as a way to teach students close reading. Uh, and, for example, um, uh, Mitch Albom mm. wrote a piece um, where he literally manufactures hysteria about a comment that I made in uh, an interview that I had with the BBC. And I just, you know, want to take a moment uh, to to state what that comment was. And I said, when writing about a community to which one does not belong, which is relevant to the conversation, um, authors have an obligation to think about the social and, co and cultural politics of what they are doing. Asking whether or not you're the right person to tell a story means that sometimes the answer is no. And let me repeat, sometimes mm. the answer is no. Mm. But his manufactured hysteria ignores that very key word sometimes, and then he launches on this attack. Um, and so I think having students go back and look at the language uh, and think about who is, um, who is using uh, you know, language in a particular way to turn it against a particular group, to make a particular argument um, you know, for what they, you know, for their own personal agenda. Uh, I think you know, that can be useful as a way for talking about, um, you know, for initiating broader conversations about how do we critically interrogate text, how do we critically interrogate media, how do we think about, you know, the information that's coming at us in this era of fake news. Mm -hmm. Yeah, good. Yeah, it seems, you know, sometimes I, I myself feel just absolutely exhausted and crushed because I, there's this sense that nuance, sophistication, and kind of smart, um, you know, engagement with reality is really like not happening, right? But uh, Christopher, yeah. let, let, you know, let's hear from you. I want to hear from you. Yeah. Yeah. So in my classes, uh, even before this, uh, Fuhrer uh, um, kind of. Um, developed over the last week or two, uh, I, always, I always emphasize to my students to remember 
how it is that they ended up with the book that we are reading at that particular time. Um, because often students, you know, they, they, you know, they purchase the book because it's on the reading list and they, you know, deeply are committed to, um, you know, seeing what the text has to say uh, about particular aspects of whatever, you know, uh, culture that we're looking at um, uh, through that, through that text and through that, um, through that narrative. But I always remind them that there's a, there, there was a process for getting into mm -hmm. Um, uh, the uh, publishing uh, sphere and how it ended up in their hands to begin with, and and um, and and I'm always emphasizing to them that um, it was it was not easy, it has not been easy, and it still is not easy. Just because we have one exemplar Latinx author doesn't mean that suddenly the doors are open for uh, in terms of opportunity for Latinx authors, um, and that I think that kind of surprises them. Um, uh, I don't know if it's, you know, um, partially because they're still at a, at a, at a stage in life where there might be some optimism about things. Um, <laughs> but, uh, right. But it, it is, it is also, um, uh, just to echo some of the things that Domino said, uh, I always emphasize that, you know, this is an ethical situation that storytelling has an ethical component. Um, and uh, and the question that I've been receiving from uh, from from dear friends and even and even family members, uh, uh, you know, vis-a-vis -vis this situation, uh, is well, what's wrong with someone who is not part of a group telling the story of that group? And that's that's that almost seems to be the starting point. And I think my students have that question too, like, oh, well. You know, can it be done at all? Can it can it be done uh, correctly? Um, is is there a, is there a is there a right way to go about this? And it creates the space for a really long and complicated answer, right? Um, but mm -hmm. I generally say that it, you know it is possible, just like there are other theoretical things that are possible, but are they probable, <laughs> right? And when they are, when they actually um, uh, uh, when they actually come into the world and now we have to engage with them, uh, we have to understand that those stories potentially have real-world consequences. They can cause damage. They can cause hurt to communities. And when you're in a privileged position, uh, if you have whiteness uh, as an ally on your side, you would not really kind of stop to think about, oh, well, how might, uh, how might a novel that is supported by Oprah uh, Oprah's book club be potentially harming to a group of people. Um, so I think what 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 I try to do as well is to talk about the material realities um, that come about when we have narratives in the popular culture uh, with which we have to contend uh, because they don't just you know they don't just exist. We engage with them, and you know as we in our conversation here know. Uh, when groups of people who don't come into contact with, say, uh, uh, members of the Latinx community on a daily basis and their only uh, engagement or understanding of this community may be what they hear on CNN or what they hear President Trump say or what they hear in this book, uh, then it actually does harm our community because now uh, it, it, it constricts and confines uh, the possibility of what we can be 
as a community and as a people. Domino, let me ask you, um, and then, you know, maybe Christopher, you can follow up on this, but Domino, so, I mean, what you, you know, Domino, at the very beginning, you mentioned some statistics, and we know generally, you know, we're 18% plus of the pop- population demographic, um, and yet we're less than 3% represented across all uh, media. And you mentioned, you know, children's uh, books, um, how animals and inanimate objects are more represented. Now, let me ask this. Uh, You know, we see a lot of different types of white identities, personalities, even if they're caricatures, um, you know, the Al Bundys, etc. On TV and mainstream representation. We don't have that. And so is it that the stakes are just that much higher and people don't understand when when someone finally does get that spotlight or that voice that they're carrying the weight of much more? Um, would it be different if, say, across the board, we were represented in all of the different ways that we kind of exist in the same way that, say, whiteness is constructed as a spectrum? Um, Domino, I don't know if you want to jump in here. Um, yeah, I think that I think absolutely. I think the problem, and I think Chris did a wonderful job of, of talking about this. I think if if this book were a book among a hundred that were promoted at this same level, I think the impact would be different. Um, and you know. Does that still make the book okay? Well, that's, I think, a different conversation. But I think because, as Chris pointed out, it's sort of the weight that gets put on this and it becomes the representative book or the exemplar for these particular kinds of of conversations, I do think it's, you know, I think this is in part what many of us are responding to um, and what we're trying to to talk through and theorize and what we, you know, and Chris is already doing, but what I'm going to have to do in the fall uh, you know, when talking with, with my own students. I think that so much of the conversation um, that we've been having has also been tied to this very question that you're asking about what kinds of representations are permitted. Um, there's been conversations about trauma porn. There's been conversations about compulsive uh, or compulsory, uh, the uh, poverty is being compulsory to representations of, of Brownness, Mexicanness in particular, Latinidad more broadly. Um, but I do think that there are particular kinds of um, ideas about uh, Latinx people um, that publishers seek to produce and reproduce. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do think it creates a very narrow window. Uh, you know, into our lives. Mm-hmm. I mean, those of us who teach Latinx literature, um, you know, know the range of stories out there. All you have to do, for example, is take a look at Arte Publico Press's catalog. Mm-hmm. Literally just pages and pages and pages. Fiction, nonfiction, YA, mm-hmm. children's stories, biography. I mean, just that, that catalog alone is such a rich resource, and it's one resource of all the many stories that are being told. What it seems to me that publishers and presses aren't interested in, and this is something that we talk about in my classes, is they don't seem interested in our joy. 
They don't seem interested in our lives mm -hmm. outside of or uncoupled from tragedy, poverty, pain, and suffering, lots of suffering. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Christopher, what, what's your thought on this? Yeah, I, um, I thought Domino's last comment was just, um, uh, just wonderfully articulated and uh, beautiful. It is, it is not um, uh, a situation that, that we find ourselves in where we are able to express our storytelling uh, in a myriad of ways, right? Uh, there is a very narrow conception of how um, Latinx stories can be um, uh, presented uh, to the uh, uh, buying public, right? Um, it's that issue of permissibility, right? Um, and as the gatekeepers, the publishers and the publishing industry, um, uh, you know, uh, they, the, they generally are uh, conceiving of return on investment based on past uh, success, right? So if, um, you know, for them, if, if, the stories that are uh, uh, that, that that seem to engage people and to get people to spend money are about cartels, right? And about uh, you know narcotraficantes or or, or narco dramas, uh, then they're going to want to reproduce that. So when the only kinds of stories you have are those kind, then the, the, the then then the industry wants to replicate that. They want to replicate past success. And they want to mitigate the risk of their investment, and that's why they don't take chances on novels that uh, that that present stories of Latinx uh, uh, individuals uh, that are uh, uh, outside of our expectations, right? Mm -hmm. So the other thing that I I would also mention is uh, you know related to that is that we we we're in a position where we don't hear about, oh, this novel is, you know, the novel of white people. Like, it encapsulates all <laughs> white people, mm -hmm. right? And, That's like, true. this is the book you need to read to understand white people. And Domino's <laughs> laughing because it, it, is, it is truly absurd. Like, that, like, like that would not, mm -hmm. you know, cross anybody's mind uh, because it's so, you know, whiteness is so normative, right? And, but it's also seen as so uh, multifaceted. Mm -hmm. Right, because we yeah. get such multifaceted representation of white people, right? So, yeah. but when we have this novel, it was written by someone who is not Latinx, and then it's touted as like the, you know, the novel of say, you know, this um, particular uh, uh, issue in Mexico, right? Uh, or the issue of um, what what drives individuals to come north or even cisneros that, calls it the great novel of the americas right i mean it's she's even yeah, saying it's not yeah. just it's not just a niche that, that this is the right novel we've all been waiting for yeah anyway right keep, and I, I think we would need i think we would need another session just to talk about some of the yeah. damage that i think sandra cisneros yeah. has done really to her own legacy, but also just to this conversation. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I was actually going to bring that, uh, I was going to invoke that very quote that you mentioned, Frederick, that she, she calls this book the great novel of Las Americas, right? I mean, she says it that way. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And when you have that kind of a massive marketing like machine that is just really putting this novel in every 
space where anything can be purchased that has printed words on it, um, then then it, it it does create a harmful situation for people who wouldn't normally read about Latinos, wouldn't normally read about uh, you know Mexicans, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think part of Cisneros' argument is that very thing. Like, oh, well, people will read this novel who wouldn't normally read about this, mm-hmm. right? But if I had one chance to have a, a direct message for people who, who aren't interested in the story, this is not the book I would have them read. This is absolutely, absolutely the book I would tell them to avoid. And, well, you know, now Cisneros has her, you know, her name is tied to this. It's, it's on the book, you know, and so, or, or it's at least tied with the marketing of the book. And it, it would have been a wonderful opportunity for her to say, I can, I can change my mind, mm-hmm. right? Uh, but, yeah. but she decided not to do that. Uh, and I think uh, I have yet to see uh, anyone in 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 our field, uh, ours meaning you know Frederick Domino and other you know uh, Latinx uh, scholars thinkers uh, on on the on the value and and the importance of Latinx literature. I have not seen anyone say you know I agree with Cisneros. <laughs> right it's it's like it's yeah. almost like everyone is just like wow that's 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 so tone deaf it's so disappointing um she has the right to say what she wants but uh would have liked to have seen more from her Frederick can I follow up on something that, yeah please that Chris said? yeah please yeah so um on that last point Christopher one thing I will say is I have heard people leverage Cisneros's words in defense of the book, right? They're, and certainly mm, those are right. not Latinx scholars who are saying, mm-hmm. well, you know, how bad can it be? You know, or we shouldn't be having this conversation because Sandra said it was okay, that the mm. book was okay. Mm-hmm. So I have seen that happen, certainly. And I think that's also a danger of elevating certain voices or singular voices mm-hmm. uh, uh, over others. Um, I'm thinking about... Um, the dangers of a single story. Um, so uh, I think you know that's that's one point. Another point I would say is that in relationship to what you were saying, I think you know it doesn't just happen in fiction, right? There's a reason that all that that the majority of the successful uh, shows about Latinx families have been in the telenovela format, right? It's it, we can't exist outside certain frameworks, and it seems that in mainstream television, you know, we don't exist outside of, of telenovelas. And, and so that's another example there of a kind of single story that's being told about, uh, about Latinx people. And then the last point, Frederick, I want to go back to um, the comment that I made, uh, simply because I would, anyone who is interested in following up on those statistics that I mentioned earlier, I want, the, I want to point them to a specific source. Um, because I don't want to just spout numbers and, mm. you know, again, I think anything that's factual that can be backed up, I think we need to, that's, that's part of what we should do pedagogically is, and point mm-hmm. to the text that, you know, have facts. Um, so that information actually comes from um, an infographic that uh, mm. is based on the Cooperative Children's Book Center. Um, and it's in the School of Education out of the University of Wisconsin-Madison. And they regularly publish the, the statistical breakdown of uh, representation of the different groups in children's literature. Um, and that includes picture books, 
middle grade, YA, all of the different categories. Um, and that number that um, is associated with animals and other is actually 27%. So 27% of the books that they, you know, um, evaluated or that they received as a part of their study, 27% of them uh, are about animals and others. And that's actually more than African-American or African-African-American, Asian Pacific Islander, Asian Pacific American, Latinx, American Indian, and First Nation groups combined, right? So the combined group number is 23%. Animals and others get 27%. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, it's, um, it's horrifying, actually. Um, uh, we have so much that we could continue talking about. Um, I want to just kind of, as I wrap up here, um, maybe mention one last comment. You know, this for us to sustain uh, kind of this radical or even just, you know, even basic critique of all of what you both just brought up so elegantly it needs to continue, um, you know, like a, a marathon. It needs to continue with yeah. good pacing, but it also, we need smart, uh, accessible, but nuanced analysis of what's going on. I think we need um, more than ever, if we're going to make this kind of uh, sustained, it needs to be in that way. And, um, I noticed there is mudslinging. The mudslinging is, you know, just participates in this sort of flash moment kind of reaction emotion stuff. Um, what you both are bringing to this conversation is going to last. It's going to have a deeper impact. You know, I look at the numbers and I think, you know, gosh, it's still American Dirt is number one on the New York Times bestseller list. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, yeah. But I think that, you know, we're we're in this for the long haul um, and we can bring this into our classrooms. We can bring this to the public sphere, as you both have been doing. Um, but it has to continue in a way that uh, isn't just kind of reacting. Right. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Do you guys want to one, yeah, one last word and then yeah. Uh, we'll. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that the some of the criticism that we receive as scholars is that. Uh, what we do is so divorced from the real world um, that it doesn't really impact, you know, the daily. Um, and, you know, speaking out against or, or speaking to, rather, these issues, I think, comes at great personal cost. Um, you know, I think that I don't, I don't know what Chris's situation is, but the, the, my, my inbox is, is slowly filling up with, the consequences of of speaking out of bringing these issues um, to a larger public, uh, and I just want to acknowledge and recognize, um, you know, the work that Chris Chris has done. I think I thought his interview with NBC was absolutely just spot on. It was really very just smart and insightful, bringing together kind of rhetorics of. Of, of media and the Twitterverse and literature. Um, and, you know, I wonder how many other people saw the, the just the sort of um, mental acuity that was, ta- you know, that was, that was, that, that it went into 
um, you know, commenting on all of these different kind of media, you know, I think a lot of that's going to be lost on people. People are going to be like, well, you know, he's just angry and he doesn't want people to tell particular kinds of stories. And, you know, brown people are violent. That's, you know, that's what people are right. going to take away from it. So mm-hmm. it's always that you don't know what your voice is going to do. You don't know what impact it's going to have. But that doesn't mean that we shouldn't keep doing what we do. But it does cost us something. Mm-hmm. Chris, and then uh, we have yeah, to wrap this uh, up. Yeah. Yeah, uh, just 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 quickly, um, I think uh, just a couple things. Um, what one of one of the things I wanted to get across uh, when I spoke to NBC News is that this is um, kind of what you were saying, Frederick. This is this is we're going to have outrage for you know a few weeks because it's you're running on sheer emotion, um, but you mm-hmm. can't run on pure emotion the entire time. So my concern was. Will we still be talking about this three months from now, six months from now, a year from now? Because if we're not, then we're missing an opportunity to push back uh, where we don't have such high-profile opportunities to push back against this massive multi-billion dollar industry that is, you know, mainstream publishing. So, um, I, you know, that, that's, that's something that I think we have to um, sustain uh, and, you know, it, and it, you know, we, and this is, you know, you can, you can apply this to, you know, uh, the vast majority of historically marginalized communities. We don't have the permission to be angry. We don't have the oh, permission to you. be upset. We don't have the opportunity to be outraged. Uh, when we are, um, they turn that quickly around and say, well, you know, now, now there's, there's, um, you know, you know, there's potential for violence, right? Um, there's now peril. The, the, these are the words that the publisher Flatiron Books is mm-hmm. using to justify the cancellation of the book tour. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it and it may well be that that there are some people who are who are making threats. Mm-hmm. But I also quickly point out that as Domino, you know, mentioned, uh, uh, many of us who are speaking out are receiving hate and are receiving uh, um, a very disturbing messages. So, mm-hmm. I mean, it works both ways, but we're supposed to be quiet, right? And they right. are the ones that are the victims in this, in this situation. When, they are, when, when in actuality, they offended our community, mm-hmm. right? But, 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 that's not, but they're shaping the story. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it takes mm-hmm. people like us to push back on that story. All right. So as I close this, um, you know, less Trojan horse and more endurance, uh, right? Long distance (laughs) and where we're kind of also careful to, um, you know, sustain and provide uh, ourselves and our communities with the kind of nourishment that will be the long haul race. So with that, thank you both so much. This is a professor Latinx podcast and thank you. Thank you for good. Okay. Goodbye.